Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by award-winning dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita, and let's begin. And welcome to episode 23 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and food peace promoter. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for connecting today. And I got to tell you guys, I am so grateful for the feedback I've been getting lately on how you are experiencing this Love Food Podcast. It is such a delight to hear that you are experiencing less binging, more connecting, more peace with food and your body. And that makes me so happy and totally gives me energy for the times when I just don't feel like plugging in my microphone and talking to this empty garage band screen. Um, I really love meeting with people in person or at least on Skype. So when it's just me and this microphone, it's just not as I don't know, stimulating, I guess. So when I get that feedback, it kind of serves to be the same for me. So I really, really appreciate it. And I want to thank you for the um, the energy and the positive vibes. I'm very, very grateful for it. And I also want to say thank you so much for the very kind words on episode 21. Um, I shared some personal experiences with my own body image um, that... I can't believe it, but I actually cried a little bit on my podcast. <laughs> so um, I'm hoping I'm not the first person and not going to be the last, but still it, w- it did feel a little awkward. And you guys are so sweet. And um, it also was nice to hear other people have experienced similar things. So I wanted to also thank you for that. And today's letter, I think you're really going to find to be Oh, I think a lot of you are going to identify with what she's struggling with and how her relationship with food has happened over the years as a way to survive the stress and trauma with certain experiences. But before we get to today's letter, I wanted to share um, something that I'm reading right now. And of course, it has a story to it. Um, But a few days ago, I was at a meeting for this organization, organization that I'm on the board with, and it's this organization called Raindrop Memories. And this is a a group that was started um, by a friend of mine. She um, experienced a pregnancy loss pretty uh, far into the pregnancy. Her son um, had trisomy 18. And so when she, I think she gave, um, I say gave birth, but she kind of did. But her her baby died around 20 weeks gestation, I believe. And uh, her experience was such that when she went to the hospital with a baby in her belly, and then when she went home, you know, she had nothing to take home with her. And that was such an an experience that, um, you know, it was already a lot of grief, but there was also this kind of thing that she felt like she was missing something. And she decided to change that for other families who experienced a similar loss. So um, her and another woman who experienced um, a stillbirth, they um, started this organization. So when a woman, um, goes to the hospital and unfortunately does not go home with a baby, um, they are given a um, care package of 
gifts to kind of help with the grieving process and in no way replace, but also just know that other other families have been there and, um, you know, that they'll be standing with her and providing that support. I'm going to put a link to Raindrop Memories in the show notes because it is an organization that's near and dear to my heart since I experienced miscarriages. And um, I think it's a really important thing that a lot, a lot of people talk about. So anyway, I was meeting <laughs> for a quarterly meeting of Raindrop Memories Board, and we met in this really cool used bookstore in my town called Edward McKay's. It's this fabulous used books and um, music store. We don't have very many of those left in my neck of the woods, so it's, it's such a fun place to be. So anyway, we had this board meeting, and we made a bunch of care packages for the area hospitals, and we got done a little early before I had to get go home and relieve the babysitter, and so I went ahead and looked around, which just felt like such a delight, um, and I stumbled upon a used copy of this book I've been dying to read. It's called Diet Land. Um, Honestly, I don't read a lot of books um, or memoirs that have to do with um, eating disorders um, when I'm looking to like have like a pleasurable read just because it's what I do all day long and I already have to eat <laughs> and experience my own body. So I feel like, hey, I um, want to have a, a, an experience outside of that, which I encourage everyone to do. But Dietland is a, a novel, so it's fiction and it's a, you know, I'm only 100 pages in, but it's uh, about this young woman and her journey with food and dieting and this kind of way to take over and to change the way that the world is experiencing food and body image. There's also this interesting kind of side story about a woman named Jennifer. So um, hashtag Jennifer exists is something that you may see. And it kind of is turning the tables like what if men experience this exact same kind of thing. And, and I appreciate that men do also experience body image disturbances or concerns or have negative body image and just kind of how it's this universal female experience is quite sad and what if it was instead a universal male experience so Jennifer goes and explores that and helps the reader really to identify what that would actually be like and and actually how it's kind of so wrong and silly and so it's also wrong and silly for us we women too so anyway, I'm going to put a link to Dietland, and I also found a really cool trailer for their paperback version. So maybe you'll be lucky like me and stumble upon a used version for um, a good price at a used bookstore, or you can get the paperback, I think is just now coming out. And I would love to hear what you think about it if you do read it, or if you have read it, I would love to discuss it. Um, maybe we can even have our own little mini book club about it. So uh, shoot me an email if you um, have read it and tell me what your thoughts are. You can email me or actually even email me a letter to food if you have one of those at lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. So enough about all of my experiences lately. I have a letter for you that I'm so excited to read. So let's go ahead and hear that letter. Dear Food, just writing to you brings up all sorts of emotions, anger, sadness, even a little hatred. I am 31 years old and have had a dysfunctional relationship with you since childhood. I turned to you when my parents fought, when I got bullied, and especially after some episodes of sexual abuse. I thought you were my protector, keeping me invisible with layers of fat and safe. But then things turned. I got heavier and heavier and experienced high blood pressure and other health consequences. 
I lost all the weight though, but no one told me I could lose all the weight and still feel exactly the same. Ashamed, angry, wanting more, but not sure how to get out of this horrible cycle. Food, please help me learn how to eat to live, not live to eat. Please, especially help me get off of being addicted to sugar. Sincerely, Ashamed of the Protection. Wow, Ashamed of the Protection. Thank you so much for your letter. And that just sounds so tough. I am so sorry for all the things you have been through. And, you know, I do feel this compulsion to to hug you right now. So just know I'm giving you a very big virtual hug. And that just sounds so incredibly tough. And in episode 20, I spoke with a therapist. Her name's Carrie Anderson. And we spent a lot of time talking about how a person moves away from using food to cope with traumas, stressors, or emotions. And, you know, I really liked what she said. I felt like it really um, impacted how I think about this role. And she said it's important to to honor the functional role food has had. And so for you, letter writer, I think it's really important to acknowledge that and to let yourself feel that kind of honor. And, you know, this, this relationship with food is something that helps you successfully be able to wake up each day and to cope with all these really tough things to cope with these traumas. And so I think, you know, as you honor it, to be sure you thank it, you know, tell food, thank you for helping me. And then gently acknowledge that it's time for you to move on and it's time for you to find another way unless unless it's not time you know that's something that i wonder from reading your letter is it is this the right time for you to move on only you have that answer you know nobody will have that answer but you know in order to find out if it is the right time I do wonder if if you've addressed the abuse, the traumas that you've experienced. It's certainly really, really good work and hard work, but work that you'll be really happy that you did. And I think, you know, the people that I work with who have also had this similar kind of functional role with food, they have found that the more that they work on the traumas that they experienced in their life, whether they are really big traumas like sexual abuse, or where, or maybe they were traumas that felt relatively smaller than that, yet still impacted their body and still impacted their mind and soul. And, um, you know, having food in this type of way of relating to it can help a person just cope with those traumas in their brain. So if you've addressed it, then I think it may be time to address it again, because if you notice this relationship with food is still there, it's serving a purpose. And, you know, I love certain types of therapies for trauma. Um, there, There's lots of different modalities that um, therapists who sp- specialize in trauma work will use. Um, I'm a big fan of energy psychology and uh, advanced integrative therapy. There's also one that you may often hear by its initials. <laughs> it's EMDR, 
I can never remember what all the initials stand for. I know it's eye movement, desensitization, something. <laughs> but in the show notes, I'm going to put links to these different types of therapies. They, If you can find a practitioner that does any of this work, you may find it to be especially helpful because folks who have this type of way of working through um, trauma, they appreciate that the trauma is like still in your body. And until um, the body finds a way to um, let it move through and to be released, then your body and your mind are going to still need the coping mechanisms. And so for you, letter writer, that's what I wonder. I wonder if it's still still there. And so you're still needing to cope. And you know, you're coping in a way that's not illegal. You know, you're not using meth or um, you're not out doing really um, like you're not out prostituting yourself. You know, you're doing you're, you're having this relationship with food. Um, it's it's not illegal and it's not harming you in a, in a way that's making it um, impossible for you to drive or do things like that. So um, I know I'm kind of being silly, but I also feel like it's something important to just acknowledge that like you chose a way to cope and in, in a way that's probably the safest of all the other ones that we have out there. You know, sometimes I say unhealthy coping is still coping. It's still um, surviving. It's still getting up for another day. And um, the more that we appreciate that instead of beating ourselves up, I think the more that the shame can be taken away and then we don't need it as much. So as I think about um, the work you may have um, in front of you and also, you know, in your letter, you you mentioned that... Um, you had some consequences from the behaviors from using food to cope and you associated it with your weight. And I think that it may actually be more from the stress uh, that you were experiencing or the behaviors, you know, the, the actual binging um, and the way of coping with food and eating outside of hunger instead of the weight being the cause and I know this is kind of particular, but I think it's really interesting to always um, stop and make sure that we're not saying that the weight caused the consequences or the um, diseases. I really think the weight change is just another symptom, just like the high blood pressure or the feeling like the constant craving for food. So it, if we think it's more of the weight causing it, I think that's making a correlational relationship into a causational relationship. And what I mean by that, I mean, those are kind of fancy research terms, but you know, there's, there's probably a relationship with our weight and our health, but I don't think it's causational. I think it just means that there's something going on. And what I've been able to gather through the years of working with folks and then also researching and keeping up with research is that when a person's weight is changing, it's, not the cause of the problem. It's just another symptom. And we don't need to blame the weight because one, not everyone in larger bodies has a health problem. And um, two, changing the weight doesn't change the health. And that's what you're experiencing. Um, you know, just by changing the health, the, the weight that didn't improve your health. Because again, I wonder if you're still experiencing the stressors from the traumas. And also, if the behaviors are still there, then, you know, again, it wasn't the weight that was causing the problem. So with all that being said, I, I think it's an important letter writer to discuss a little bit about your 
feelings of addiction to sugar. I know that's how you ended your letter. And food addiction is a really interesting and touchy subject amongst we eating disorder dietitians and anybody that works really in the food industry. And there are some folks who really feel like food is addicting. And then there's other people who are the polar opposite and say, no, it's, it's absolutely not. And, you know, and I'm probably somewhere in the, in the middle there. Um, but I will let you know that I'm more feeling like it's not addicting. But there's a big old but with that. <laughs> um, and I'll get to that but in a second. You know, I feel like for you, letter writer, the the sensation of that addicted pull to sugar is probably that symptom that you're still in that functional relationship with food, that it still is soothing and calming and maybe even a bit disassociating. It may help you numb out or check out. And again, it's it's the way that your body and your brain have found a way to cope with this hole that's in your soul. And until that hole is examined and mended and cared for, um, this way of relating to food will continue. But with food addiction, um, I went through a lot of the research with my colleague and friend, Marcy Evans, in episode six. So if you wanna hear more about all of that, I would encourage you to check that out. And Marcy is someone who's staying really close to the research, and she is someone that in my um, field of eating disorder nutrition, she's someone that is really highly regarded in um, on that topic. And basically, what she's been able to connect with at this point is that food addiction is not something that's very well defined, and food addiction doesn't it doesn't allow us to really look at if someone is not deprived of a food, are they feeling as addicted? And what that means is if someone is dieting or abstaining from a certain food, and then they they eat it, like let's say they're not um, allowing themselves chocolate, and when they're finally around it, their brain just lights up. But yet when someone has unconditional permission to eat that chocolate, then the brain is just not as excited about it. So until addiction research really irons out that variable, I'm not someone that's going to be sold on it. Neither is Marcy. And again, episode six goes through a whole lot of um, this food addiction research. And so I'm going to link to that in the show notes for you. You know, and if you're wanting to move past this addiction, again, looking into doing some trauma work with therapists is something that would greatly impact this kind of connection. And if you feel like, hey, I've already done that, um, you may want to still do a little bit more, but also, you know, give yourself a heaping dose of compassion and permission. You know, as you heal and you have that permission to heal and grieve this way of relating to food, I don't think you'll continue to identify yourself as someone who is addicted to food. It's something that when I work with people, once they do have unconditional permission to eat sugar and they're well-nourished, they're no longer pursuing weight loss, then you know, they feel like this need to, to be okay with that functional relationship and there's this process of healing. And at that point, there just isn't as much of a pull to um, have sugar as a way to cope. It kind of loses its, its umph. 
So I really feel like for you, doing a little bit more work would be able to help you um, kind of turn the page and have a different way of relating to food. So letter writer, um, I feel like the things that you expressed in your letter are things that so many people in this world can say, raise their hand really and say, you know, I've, I've been there. I, I know what you're, ex- uh, you're experiencing. I know sexual abuse is something that either one in three and one in, or one in four people experience in their lifetime. And I'll put in the show notes the correct statistic, <laughs> but um, I'm thinking it's one in three. But I feel like it's something that so many people can say that they've also experienced too. And with that, you know, when you're having a moment when you're feeling super addicted to food and you feel like you can't stop, I hope you can take a deep breath and close your eyes for a second and acknowledge that in this exact moment, there's some, so many other people in the world who are sitting with the same shame and the same anger and you are not alone. And since you are not alone, there is so much power for you to turn the page and change this relationship with food. But it only can happen when it's when it's time. So if you want it to be time, then I think it's time to get to work on some things outside of food. And I really hope that this helps. I see food has written you back letter writer, so I need to go. But until then, please take care. And I would love to know about your next steps and how they're going. So please keep us posted. Take care. Dear Ashamed of the Protection, we tried so very much to help you ease the pain. We tried to be a caring friend, an attentive mother, a healing therapist, and a disassociation tool. You have survived so very much, and we hear you want things to be different between us. This will happen if you give yourself the time and the space to heal. We will grieve with you this change, yet know our new defined way of relating can help you experience more health and peace. Love, food. Do you have a complicated relationship with food and want to change? I want to help. Send your dear food letter to lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. I hope to read about your experiences soon. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Love Food Series. Have you enjoyed the show, or would you like to give me feedback? I welcome your thoughts. Please give a review in iTunes and subscribe. This type of kindness helps the show continue. You can also tweet me at eatingpermitrd. Take care.